Welcome to the Friday edition of Transformation Radio. And now it's time for our reading in the New Testament. And our scripture today comes from the book of Luke, chapter 18, verses 1 through 17. Here's a brief overview. To persist in prayer and not give up does not mean endless repetition or painfully long prayer sessions. Constant prayer means keeping our requests continually before God as we live for Him day by day, believing He will answer. When we live by faith, we are not to give up. God may delay answering, but His delays always have good reasons. As we persist in prayer, we grow in character, faith, and hope. Widows and orphans were among the most vulnerable of all God's people, and both Old Testament prophets and New Testament apostles insisted that these needy people be properly cared for. If godless judges respond to constant pressure, as we'll read about here in Scripture today, how much more will a great and loving God respond to us? If we know He loves us, we can believe He will hear our cries for help. Now, the people who lived near Jerusalem often would go to the temple to pray. The temple was the center of their worship, and we'll read about that today. The Pharisee did not go to the temple to pray to God, but to announce to all with an earshot how good he was. The tax collector went recognizing his sin and begging for mercy. Self-righteousness is dangerous. It leads to pride, causes a person to despise others, and prevents him or her from learning anything from God. The tax collector's prayer should be our prayer, because we all need God's mercy every day. Hey, don't let pride in your achievements cut you off from God. Now, it was customary for a mother to bring her children to a rabbi for a blessing. And that is why these mothers gathered around Jesus. The disciples, however, thought the children were unworthy of the master's time, you know, less important than whatever else he was doing. But Jesus welcomed them because little children have the kind of faith and trust needed to enter God's kingdom. It's important that we introduce our children to Jesus. And now let's begin our reading today here in the New Testament. April 17th, the New Testament, Luke chapter 18, verses 18 through 43. Once a religious leader asked Jesus this question, Good teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked him. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not commit adultery. You must not murder. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. Honor your father and mother. The man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. When Jesus heard his answer, he said, There is still one thing you haven't done. Sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. But when the man heard this, he became very sad, for he was very rich. When Jesus saw this, he said, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God! In fact, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this said, Then who in the world can be saved? He replied, what is impossible for people is possible with God. Peter said, We have left our homes to follow you. Yes, Jesus replied, And I assure you that everyone who has given up house or wife, or brothers or parents or children, for the sake of the kingdom of God, 
will be repaid many times over in this life and will have eternal life in the world to come. Taking the twelve disciples aside, Jesus said, Listen, we're going up to Jerusalem, where all the predictions of the prophets concerning the Son of Man will come true. He will be handed over to the Romans, and he will be mocked, treated shamefully, and spit upon. They will flog him with a whip and kill him. But on the third day he will rise again. But they didn't understand any of this. The significance of his words was hidden from them, and they failed to grasp what he was talking about. As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind beggar was sitting beside the road. When he heard the noise of a crowd going past, he asked what was happening. They told him that Jesus the Nazarene was going by. So he began shouting, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Be quiet, the people in front yelled at him. But he only shouted louder, Son of David, have mercy on me. When Jesus heard him, he stopped and ordered that the man be brought to him. As the man came near, Jesus asked him, What do you want me to do for you? Lord, he said, I want to see. And Jesus said, All right, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Instantly the man could see, and he followed Jesus, praising God. And all who saw it praised God too. Psalm 85, verses 1 through 13. As we read in the Psalms today, we'll see that the writer was asking God to revive his people, bringing them back to spiritual life. You know, God is capable of reviving both churches and individuals. He can pour out His love on us, renewing our love for Him. If you need revival in your church, family, or personal spiritual life, well, ask God to give you a fresh touch of His love. These five verses that we'll read, uh, chapter 85, verses 9 through 13, describe what God can do for those who welcome His herald, righteousness. And this psalm illustrates that the greater the presence of righteousness, that is, obedience to God, the clearer the examples of God's blessings. And this principle works equally in the life of a nation or an individual. The more we first seek God's righteousness and His kingdom, as Jesus pointed out, the more we will see everything else taken care of by God. Psalm 86, verses 1-17 through 17, A prayer of David Bend down, O Lord, and hear my prayer. Answer me, for I need your help. Protect me, for I am devoted to you. Save me. For I serve you and trust you. You are my God. Be merciful to me, O Lord, for I am calling on you constantly. Give me happiness, O Lord, for I give myself to you. O Lord, you are so good, so ready to forgive, so full of unfailing love for all who ask for your help. Listen closely to my prayer, O Lord. Hear my urgent cry. I will call to you whenever I am in trouble, and you will answer me. No pagan god is like you, O Lord. None can do what you do. All the nations you made will come and bow before you, Lord. They will praise your holy name, for you are great and perform wonderful deeds. You alone are God. Teach me your ways, O Lord, that I may live according to your truth. Grant me purity of heart, so that I may honor you. With all my heart I will praise you, O Lord my God. I will give glory to your name forever, for your love for me is very great. 
You have rescued me from the depths of death. O God, insolent people rise up against me. A violent gang is trying to kill me. You mean nothing to them, but you, O Lord, are a God of compassion and mercy, slow to get angry, and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. Look down and have mercy on me. Give your strength to your servant. Save me, the son of your servant. Send me a sign of your favor. Then those who hate me will be put to shame. For you, O Lord, help and comfort me. Proverbs chapter 13, verses 9 and 10. The life of the godly is full of light and joy, but the light of the wicked will be snuffed out. Pride leads to conflict. Those who take advice are wise. Hey, this is Zach Pruitt here with Transformation Radio, reminding you that this Saturday is Family Day for Phase 2 out in Lancaster. This is a great time for all the men in Phase 2 to enjoy visits from their family and begin to experience the promise of God's restoration in their life. This also means that this Sunday is Encounter for the Refuge Ministries. This is where all four phases of the ministry get together for a time to encounter God in a real and personal way. Hope everybody has fun this weekend. And thanks for listening to Transformation Radio. Let's, uh, if you would, let's pray together. Jesus, thank you so much for your grace that you've uh, brought us together, that we get to share in one another's company. Thank you that we get to celebrate Palm Sunday and really just celebrating you, uh, just for the liturgy that we just, you know, the scripture we just heard read, the liturgy we heard read, the songs that we sang, just pointing us to you. I pray, God, that we wouldn't just leave here fulfilling some sort of religious duty without it affecting our hearts. God, we we ask you to come, that your spirit would move in and through us, and that we'd be changed. And so, God, do what you want. Amen. Welcome to Veritas West. I'm I'm really glad you're here. Uh, Some of you might be new folks. Thanks for coming. Thanks for hanging out with us. We've been meeting here at 4.30 for about three-ish months, and we've been doing so gladly. Uh, the church here has welcomed us in, and so thank you for coming. I just want to, man, the, the people doing the music, the people greeting, um, Noah's going to be coming up here a little bit, Tiff that put together all the kids' stuff. I just, we've got great uh, leaders here. I'm so appreciative for them, and uh, if you're here and you want to get more involved, we want to welcome you. We just want this to be a, a safe place that you can come and you can be, and so just wanted to say that. wasn't planning on it, but there you go. So last week, uh, we were uh, in the book of Acts, as we are today, and we were looking at generosity, but we were looking at Ananias and Sapphira. We called it satanic generosity, and we kind of looked at the reality that there's folks in and around the church who aren't Christians, but will act like Christians, will kind of pretend, I guess, to be a part of the faith, but for selfish reasons, And so we looked at chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, where we saw this couple, Ananias and Sapphira, they were were pretending to be in the community of faith. Because what we saw is we saw all this stuff happening, right? God was moving. We saw Barnabas selling goods. Everyone got freaked out. They were excited. And so what did they do? Well, Ananias and Sapphira, they don't really believe in God. They just see this as some man-made religion. 
They want to gain favor with it in order to exploit it, to find out what they could personally gain from it. And so they sell a piece of land. They give a portion of the proceeds. They, they tell uh, you know, the church and everyone around that they gave everything. Uh, basically, Peter tells them that they're filled with Satan and they drop dead. And so that was our text last week. Very interesting. And so we saw that play out. And up to this point, we've read about how the Holy Spirit has been indwelling Christians. This is a unique thing to Acts. But last week we heard similar language. But with Ananias and Sapphira, it wasn't the Holy Spirit filling them, right? It was Satan. It was enemy filling them. And so we've seen gospel generosity modeled in Barnabas, which leads to life. We've seen satanic generosity modeled in Ananias and Sapphira, which leads to death. And so that's kind of where we find ourselves today as we go into um, verses 12 through 32 in chapter 5. And the first thing in your bulletin, the first thing I've kind of uh, titled uh, verses 12 through 16 is this idea of nominalism shrinking and true believers being added to the church. And so what do I mean by this? What do I mean by this? Well, let me just read 12 through 16 again. Marlena did a fantastic job, despite the fact she's wearing a a bear's hoodie. But I'm going to read this again. Now, many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets, laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least a shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. So they're proclaiming the words of God, they're being witnesses of Jesus, but there were signs accompanying their words. There were, in these signs, they added weight, they added validity to what they were actually saying. And, and then verse, verse 13 is interesting. Verse 13 says, None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. Well, okay. But what's weird is then in 14 it says this, And more than ever believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. So, if multitudes are being added, then what does it mean when it says none of the rest joined them? What does this mean? Well, what, what's happening is that the folks like Ananias and Sapphira did not join the church and or probably left. And so we would call these kinds of people nominal believers. Meaning what? Nominal meaning existing in name only. Existing in name only. So, so that's what we mean. So, so when we say nominal Christians, we're referring to those that call themselves Christians, but they aren't really, they aren't really believers. They aren't really followers. They're, they're nominal. So Ananias and Sapphira were nominal Christians. They were obviously around the early Christians, around the early church. Here they are in this chapter participating, right? But we find out they're not really believers and they die because of this lie that they tell. And so the other nominal believers, they see this happen and they're like, no, I'm out. No, thank you. I don't want to have anything to do with this. And so that's what's taking place. And so we could think of nominalism in a different way. So think we could think of maybe, this is a terrible example, but we could think of a sports team. And so I'll throw my cards on the table. I would be, at best, considered a nominal Blue Jackets fan. Um, 
Some of you might, you know, might be hardcore, but if someone said, well, hockey team do you like? I would probably respond by saying, I'm a Blue Jackets fan, but that's just simply because I want to support Columbus. And so I would say I'm a Blue Jackets fan because of Columbus. Needless to say, I don't know a single person on the roster, and the only time I watched them play on TV last year was when they were in the playoffs. And so at best, I'm a nominal fan. And so if that offends you, I'm sorry, I'm just being real. So... What we know, what's a fact, is that this idea of nominalism has been a common reality within Christianity in America until recently. Until recently. Because what do I mean by that? Until recently, the majority of America held to traditional Christian values and ethics. So many would kind of follow suit. They would kind of fall in line because it meant that by kind of following Christianity that they would fit in in some way, that by holding uh, Christian values that it might help them land a certain job or get on some certain committee. But the point is, is that Christianity in the recent past benefited people by being a part of it. And in many ways... um, This has changed. This is changing. The climate's shifting. It seems that more and more our culture accepts any belief, any idea, anything except Christianity. So we're open-minded, we're tolerant, we're affirming. Now make sure that, you know, you believe exactly as we do or you're a bigot. So that's kind of where we find ourselves, in an interesting place. And in many ways... This is, this is the reality that we're in. And so what this means is it's a little more risky. There's a little bit, there's sacrifice, there's skin in the game now when, when we call ourselves a Christian, when we call ourselves a follower of Christ. Because it doesn't help me network. It doesn't help me necessarily land a job. It doesn't give me a certain edge on some position that I'm trying to pursue. The perks aren't there any longer. Pain, friction, persecution, animosity, disagreement. All these things do certain things to us. What do they do? Pain and friction and things like that, they proved others into ourselves what we really believe. So as the climate shifted, as people become more and more post-Christian, nominal Christianity, people just kind of clinging to the faith only by name, this has waned. This has decreased. This has decreased. And that's changed our culture. And so what's happening is people were excited around the early church, but when they saw what happened to Ananias and Sapphira, they were like, you know, I I don't want to be a part of that. I don't want to be a part of that. But what's interesting is, it's the text said that they held them in high esteem. And so there was this certain respect that they began to have for them. And what happened was the people realized that, that, that what was going on in the early church wasn't a farce. It wasn't a cheap ploy. It wasn't man-made. God was at work in some way. And what happens? What has been a kind of a theme in the early church? Well, the church grew. The church grew. We know that God builds His church despite there being an Ananias and Sapphira in the church. Some folks left, sure. Some folks didn't kind of tag along because they didn't want to believe in this God. It doesn't matter. God was building His church, caring for His church, and growing His church. And then in verse 16, it says, The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all 
healed. And so we see people from outside Jerusalem, where the early church was inaugurated, where this has all been taking place. And they, they came from outside Jerusalem to come hear about this gospel, the, the, to hear about this Messiah, this new king, King Jesus. And the signs were performed to accompany their message. The signs aren't an end in and of themselves. The signs accompany the message. This is important. This is important. Why? Because what we most need, what people most needed, wasn't to have their earthly bodies healed. Sure, that's cool and that's helpful for a time. But what we and those folks needed most was to have their souls, was, is to have our souls healed. We need to come to know Jesus and worship Jesus. And so we see kind of this nominalism, this, this kind, of, kind of-ish belief in the church ceasing and true believers are being added. And then what's interesting in verse 17 through 28, we kind of see the threat of the gospel, the threat of the good news of Jesus on religion. And that might sound weird to you, but we'll explain it. So let's read this text again, 17 through 28. But the high priest rose up and all who were with him, that is, the party of the Sadducees. And filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, sent and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in prison. So they turned, they returned and reported, We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple teaching to the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they brought them, they set them before the council. The high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charge you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. So again, this is interesting. So far, right, we've seen the Holy Spirit filling God's people, proclaiming the gospel. Earlier in this chapter, we see Ananias is filled with Satan. The same word for filled in Acts 4.8, which read, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, this is the same word in the Greek for filled in this text, except what does it say? What is the high priest, the religious leader, filled with? The text said that he's filled with jealousy. That he's filled with jealousy. God's people are being filled with the Spirit. And here we see the leader of the religious folks being filled in the same way, but he's filled with jealousy. Then the Sadducees, a Jewish sect, they arrested the apostles, they put them in prison. And so imagine this. They're seeing what's happening in Jerusalem. Signs and wonders are happening. People are being healed. Everybody's going nuts. The church is growing. There's quite a stir in the town. And the religious folks are jealous. The religious folks are jealous. Why? Well, think about it. They've been teaching for years. They want the attention. They want the recognition. They want this kind of attention that the apostles are getting. 
what we know is that the apostles aren't after the attention. They're just busy advancing Jesus' message as Jesus has called them to be witnesses. They've seen Jesus. They're compelled to give their lives to this message. But the religious leaders are annoyed and they're jealous. Religion has no power. Religion has no power. Now we'll have to unpack that. But definitely not compared to Christ. And so the religious leaders, they're upset. They can't believe it. Imagine them. They're basically saying, we're the rabbis. We're we're the rabbis here. The people are supposed to listen to us. We've memorized the Torah. We've mastered the temple ceremonies. And here the people are listening to some fishermen. What is this? They should be listening to us. And see, some of, the, some of us, we might be a little confused because we're thinking that Christianity is in the same camp as the other world religions. But listen to me. Hear me. It's not. It's not. Christianity is entirely different. It's entirely different. Sure, some churches may treat it as though it is. Some nominal Christians may treat it as though it is. But Christianity, properly understood and lived, is entirely different than religion. Now, religion means this. And I pulled this from Wikipedia, so you know it's really good. All right? And so, uh, Wikipedia says that this is what religion means. A religion is an organized collection of beliefs, cultural systems, and worldviews that relate to humanity to an order of existence. So if we were to bullet point that, we would say that basically religion is organized beliefs, cultural systems, worldviews, ways to view the world and life, Rules on how to live. Rules on how to live. So essentially, religion gives humans a manual that basically says, if you can relay some doctrine, if you can adhere to to this cultural way of thinking, if you will be a part of our system and ritual, if you will live up to the standards, then you're good. You're in. You, you, my friend, have made a way for yourself to have heaven or afterlife or nirvana or whatever. This is how many would view Christianity, but this isn't true. This isn't Christianity. And it's no wonder because religious living does not produce Christ-centered individuals. Because religious individuals may verbally advocate for humility or meekness, but they don't live by it because essentially religious folks believe it's through their actions that they've acquired their right standing before God. I've been good and so I'm in. So religious people will inevitably struggle with pride and gossip and jealousy as we see in our text and looking down on others because they essentially see themselves as people who've earned God's favor because they're basically good and they've basically followed the rules, right? But Christianity is not basically a set of principles. Christianity is most fundamentally about a person. And that person is Jesus Christ. That person is Jesus Christ. In Christianity, friends, we realize that we didn't follow the rules. In Christianity, we realize that we have not lived the life that we should have lived. In Christianity, we realize that despite our greatest efforts, we've... We have constant, we have this constant propensity to seek our own glory at the expense of other people and God. 
And Christianity tells us, you didn't sacrifice for God. God sacrificed for you. Christianity tells us that you didn't live a righteous life deserving worship and praise. God lived a righteous life deserving worship and praise. The gospel is this. In our lostness, in our shame, God came to us. God took on flesh and made a way for us to be in relationship with Himself. We deserve death. We deserved it because of our rebellion, because of our sin. But Jesus took our penalty of death upon himself. And we get to have the life that he deserved in his righteousness and in his perfection. This is the essence in the definition of grace. You're offered something that you do not deserve. I'm offered something that I do not deserve. And because you and I do not deserve it, there is nothing to be prideful, accusatory, jealous, or entitled about. Nothing. We deserve death and Jesus offers us life. That's Christianity. When we truly embrace the gospel, when Jesus becomes beautiful to us, when we, when we realize this not just intellectually, but, but in our being. It produces within us a true love, a true sacrificial posture towards other people and a true holiness. Because we're not going through the motions. We're not trying to earn some favor to get what we want. We're not trying to put God in our debt. We're following God. Why? Because we love God. Because of how gracious He's been to us. The gospel of Jesus is a threat on religion because religion says you can earn God's favor. You can achieve right standing with God. Christianity says you could never earn it because you're not perfect. But listen, God is perfect and he offers you his life because of what he did. It's a completely different posture. It, com it produces completely different people. It's a different message altogether. So in this text, the religious leaders have followed the rules. They've memorized large parts of the Old Testament. They showed up to temple week in and week out. But they overlooked the long-awaited Messiah. They labor in vain. Ultimately, they work for themselves and not for God. So This is what's crazy. So when they see the Holy Spirit moving in and through the apostles, the religious leaders become filled with jealousy and they come against God's people. Think about the religious leaders. They've spent their whole lives doing religious activities. Probably like some of you. Spent their whole lives doing religious activities to supposedly appease the God of the Bible. Yet now, when the God of the Bible is moving in their midst, they don't even know it. And furthermore, they persecute his work. It's crazy. So nominal believers decrease, true Christians are added to the church, and now we see how the gospel is a threat on religion. Now we see Peter's response. And I've titled this Solus Christus, Through Christ Alone. Verses 29 through 32, But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him in his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. So real quick history lesson. Probably terrible. But there were five resolutions made during the 16th century Reformation. 
What's the Reformation, you ask? Thanks for asking. What happened? Well, the Lexham Bible Dictionary writes, Instead of interpretation ultimately being under the authority of the Roman Catholic Church and its rule of faith, Scripture itself comes to be seen as the ultimate norm for the truth it proclaims and for the interpretive means used to uncover that truth with no other authority needed. So to put it very basically, the Reformation was simply a time of rediscovering the beauty, the authority, the sufficiency and inspiration of God, of the, of God through the Bible. Through the Bible. So there were five resolutions. There were five resolutions. Solified or by faith alone. Sola Scriptura, by Scripture alone. Scripture being ultimate authority. Solus Christus, through Christ alone. Sola Gradia, by grace alone. And Solo De Gloria, glory to God alone. Sorry, I got like this little, I rolled my R there. Sorry about that, that was weird. So I've titled this section, Solus Christus, through Christ alone. Because listen to Peter. Listen to, who's he exalting? Who's he lifting up? What is he telling them? He says, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. And what's 31? God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Peter is coming against the religion that has slowly corrupted the beauty, the core message, and the integrity of the Old Testament scriptures. Hear me. It, ha- it, has, it has become a set of rules to live by instead of a God to worship and be known by. That's what it had turned into. That's what it can turn into us. It had become a set of rules to live by instead of a God to worship and know and be known by. 31, God exalted him, Jesus, at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Solus Christus, your hope is through Jesus. That's what he's saying. Your future is in Jesus. You're lost without Jesus. The gospel is not essentially an idea or a set of rules or a way to live. The gospel is a person. And Jesus invites us to love and be loved by himself. Hear that. That's my prayer is that you hear that. Without Jesus, without a relationship with him, this gets really weird. Really weird. People can get really religious. We can get really religious. We can sing songs. We can show up to a few things. We can throw a few dollars here and there. But it's the same issue that we saw with Ananias and Sapphira last week. And Matt Chandler says this, and I love it. He says that the hypocrite grabs on to the language, but the heart isn't there. The hypocrite grabs onto the language, but the heart isn't there. And hypocrisy really just means that we're claiming to have something that we don't possess. The hypocrite grabs on to the language, but the heart isn't there. Ananias sold some stuff. He gave some money. He said the right words, but he lied. He was filled with Satan, the text says. His heart was not for God, but for himself. Sure, he showed up at church. He was a part of the community to some degree. But remember, the hypocrite grabs onto the language, but the heart isn't there. We can say and do the right things and Do them for all the wrong reasons. So in you being here even today, 
Please do not simply try and get the words and the performance right. Because as we've titled this section, Solus Christus, pursue a relationship with Jesus. Because this, friends, is the heart of the gospel. It's the heart of Christianity. And without your heart being right, nothing else really will make sense. You'll be heartlessly following a set of principles that you, and you may or may not even be a Christian. And that gets really weird. So it's through Christ alone that you're saved. When we understand this, it will inevitably produce humility, service, and holiness. It will. And it'll just come out of you because you're changing. We become more like Christ. We love people as He did. So I'm, call, I'm exhorting you to pursue a relationship with Jesus, to, to pursue Christ, to give your life to Him, to give your will, to give your future to His care, to His purposes. When it comes to your work, your job, your future, where you live, what you do for fun, how you spend your resources, how you spend your time, what you care about. Yes, all those things. To Jesus. To Him. And I believe that you'll find true life in Him. So we see nominalism ceasing and the true believers being added. The gospel being a threat to religion and solus Christus through Christ alone. Wouldn't it be a blessing to see this begin to happen here? To see this begin to happen here as it did in the early church. I just encourage you to, let's, let's ask the Lord for that. Would you pray with me? God, we, we thank you for your word. And we thank you that you reveal yourself to us in tangible ways and also just in the mundane. God, we find ourselves in all different kinds of places tonight. Some of us have had a great week and some of us have not. And some of us are struggling with our future. Some of us are so just wrapped up in, in our own selves Some of us have a lot of wounds that we carry. And I just ask that by your Spirit, Lord, you would change us. You would, even if it's just a little flicker of belief, that you'd begin to do something in each of us. That we truly see you for who you are. You weren't just a good teacher, you didn't give us that option. And God, my prayer for us is that we would truly see you as Lord. That we would see nominalism cease. That we would see true believers added. That God, we would see that, you know, we're not just called to be religious. We're not just called to, you know, adhere to a set of principles. We're called to worship you, the living God. As we look at your resurrection next week, as we look at the most amazing historical fact in all of history, The resurrection. I pray that we would see that as a reality and that this wouldn't simply be, you know, reduced to something that we just do because it makes us feel better. And that we'd worship you, that we'd give ourselves to you, some of us maybe for the first time. We ask these things, Lord, in your name. Amen. Hey, it's Zach Pruitt here with Transformation Radio. Just a reminder that Monday is Orientation Day at the Refuge Ministries. If you or anybody you know is struggling with addiction, homelessness, or hopelessness, come to the Hilltop Lutheran Church located at 12 
South Terrace Avenue in Columbus at 10 a.m. on Monday. Please call 614-991-0131 or visit our website at menslivesChanged.org for more information. Thanks for listening to Transformation Radio and have a blessed day.